to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk. We had a little bit of technical issues, but we back. So this morning I get to talk to Dr. Uh, Andrea Silver and uh, attorney Emily Rock. And they're here to talk about something that I had no idea about. So this October is uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And uh, they're going to talk about this, I guess, uh, uh, this project that they got going on at the at over at Yale uh, for folks who, uh, for women, um, it's a medical and legal side of an innovative medical legal partnership, which provides legal aid uh, to breast cancer patients at Yale New Haven Hospital. Is that is that right? So Dr. Silver is the Associate Director for Clinical Research at the Center for Community Engagement and Health Equity at the Yale Cancer Center and a professor of medicine at the Yale University School of Medicine. Um, and uh, 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 they're going to talk about this. So, And Emily Rock is the senior clinical fellow of the Medical Legal Partnership. Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for having us. I'm Thank so you, Babs. That, I'm so glad that you all are here because, I, you know, we talk about breast cancer awareness, but we're always talking about, oh, go get your mammogram and just, you know, make sure you handle all that stuff, early detection, all of that. But what is this story of, like, what is this uh, a part of breast cancer patient stories? Well, I'm going to start here by saying breast cancer is not just affecting a cancer cell. It's affecting a woman. If it affects a woman, it affects her family, her community. And we can't treat people like they are just a cancer. No, they're not. They're a woman with cancer. And because of that, we have to address other issues besides addressing the treatment for the cancer. And maybe Emily wants to chime in here and we'll talk more about it. Sure. So Dr. Silver was really um, the innovator behind this particular medical legal partnership. And at Yale Law School, we have a number of different MLPs, Medical Legal Partnership, um, serving different patient populations. And the oncology is one of our newest ones. We started it about two and a half years ago at Smilo. And um, I think what we've seen since we started is the ways that legal issues are interconnected with health issues and affect each other. So someone who's in treatment for breast cancer and can't get time off work and their employer isn't granting them leave that they're entitled to under the FMLA or the ADA, um, you know, they're in a bind or you can't continue treatment and be out of a job or um, uh, keep your job and not do treatment. So um, it comes up in a lot of issues, employment, housing, uh, public benefits, um, where these things affect a person's ability to continue treatment and get the help they need and their treatment affects these other areas of their life. This is fascinating to me, this whole medical legal partnership 
because I don't think people sort of think about, I don't want to say this is on the back end of things, but this is not, this doesn't get the same attention that when we talk about breast cancer, we, we always talk about actual breast cancer and what that means, but we don't talk about uh, what happens when, just like you said, if people have to take time off because everyone just assumes, oh, your employer will be understanding and who wouldn't want to help you support you through this? And and why would somebody deny you time off to take, you know, to save your own life? But apparently this is such a problem that you have to have some kind of legal uh, uh, disruption in, in what is happening to women. And when, and so when did this, how, how did this come up about? Did, were you just seeing so many of these same kinds of stories of people can't, you know, uh, I have to fight back and feeling helpless and powerless to fight back? Well, after taking care of women for over 30 years, uh, one thing became really clear. Women are going to take care of their family before themselves. They put their family mm -hmm. first. And that means if they have a child who needs help or an older parent that needs help or you know, anything that has to do with financial issues, they are going to try to take care of it. And that can delay treatment. It can also mean that someone when they're coming in for something like chemotherapy, uh, they may not be able to come in. And those kinds of things really do affect outcome. So our thought was, particularly New Haven, you know, New Haven has a really poor community. And often people in that community are people of color. And even though they're very close physically to a cancer center, there are barriers that may keep them away from treatment. And then we thought about this medical legal partnership as a way to help women when they're at their most vulnerable time to navigate some of those issues. Wow. Okay. So tell me some of these. Uh, so, so when a woman comes to Smilo for breast cancer, does this, inf is this information readily available? Like how do people find out about what they should do if they are experiencing some kind of form of, of, of not being able to take time off or some kind of barrier, getting them the care that they need? Right. So we work with, um, with Dr. Silver and her team, other doctors, social workers. Um, so any of those providers um, can refer a patient to me and my legal team. Um, so, you know, we've kind of given the providers an overview of the kinds of issues that we can help with. And not everything is in our wheelhouse, but if it's a legal issue that isn't something that we can address, then often we can refer them to someone else who can help. Um, so we have a broader network. Um, and then uh, either me and my um, uh, student law students um, follow up with patients. And so it's also a clinical program on the law school side. So training law students to get that experience, working directly with clients, serving the population in the place where they live um, and getting trained on how to be a, a lawyer um, with a social conscience uh, working for the public good and on behalf of vulnerable people. So is this a, are you, do you take cues from what is going on in the country? Like are other places having this experience? Are, are, this is not unique to New Haven. 
Right. And medical legal partnerships have been uh, growing across the country, as I said, addressing different patient populations. So there are other oncology medical legal partnerships um, and then other ones. Some of the others that we work on um, are working with um, people returning home from incarceration, um, palliative care patients, um, geriatric patients who have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia. Um, undocumented immigrants. So those are all different patient populations where we partner the law side with the medical side to help address um, these these issues together. So, so Dr. Silver, when you when when women are coming in for care, how do you find out that they are, you know, because women are 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 uh, uh, has been my experience. Women are not very forthcoming with sharing. Well, this is what's happening in my life, you know shame, embarrassment, just don't want people to know, just trying to soldier through. How do you find out that if someone is needs this medical uh, law uh, partnership? That's a great question. And um, when we talk about my team, my team isn't just me. It's not just me and nursing. It is everyone who that patient meets. That may be the person who checks them in, it may be the person who's taking their blood pressure, who may be their cousin and say to me, you know, so-and-so, she's about to lose her housing. So sometimes it comes from the patient directly to me, but often it is a team effort. And I can't tell you how many times the women who are checking those patients in getting weighed, who are often community members themselves, may tip me off, you know, so-and-so's not doing well today. She's got this going on in her life. Okay. So this partnership, I'm looking at your flyer um, that you sent uh, the other day, which is, I mean, this just blows my mind because I had no idea that this even existed, but um, you help with uh, if people have issues with applying for disability or other benefits, which I would imagine, Emily, is overwhelming. Like paperwork can be overwhelming when you're in the midst of some kind of care. Right. That's exactly right. And even things that, um, you know, from the perspective of a lawyer or law student seem like maybe sort of a straightforward set of forms to fill out. It can be really daunting. And just the sort of sheer number of pages that you have to fill out. Um, and so. We have worked to um, educate patients and providers. And so Social Security Disability Insurance is one example where we put together a guide for patients that says, here's the information you're going to need to have to apply. Here are the different ways you can apply. Here are all the forms you need in one place. And then as you work on it, if you have questions and need help completing the application, you can come back to us and we can work with you. And so, and and then it talks about, you have, uh, I'm going through the bullet points, employment, including accommodations. What, what does that mean? Right. So someone who's going through uh, through treatment, depending on their treatment regimen, they may need to take time off from work, but then they also might need an accommodation like they're in a, a you know immunocompromised state. And so they're not able to work in person, even though their job is usually in person. But with the accommodation of working remotely, they could continue to work. And so um, working with the employer to grant those accommodations, which under the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, reasonable accommodations are something that a person um, has a right to uh, when they're undergoing cancer treatment. Um, and like you said, we would want to think that all employers are going to be understanding and 
say yes to whatever, you know, their employees need, but it's not always that straightforward. And sometimes we do have to push back on employers who are denying what we think are really a reasonable request. And, 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 and you're dealing with uh, immigration issues, which I can't even imagine because the level of fear that immigrants have. I mean, I, I know they're not coming to the doctor. And if they are coming to the doctor, it's at the dire and and they're not telling you what's going on. So 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 talk a little bit about that population and and what that looks like. Sure. Um, and so we do have work with um, the Haven Free Clinic, which is run by medical students and is um, all for patients who are uninsured, which ends up being um, largely undocumented folks. And so that's our medical legal partnership where immigration come up, issues come up the most. In the oncology context, what's come up most often is someone who's here from another country, they may have citizenship or other type of status, but their family is all back in their home country and they're going through treatment and they can't drive, they can't cook for themselves, they can't clean, they need the assistance of their partner or uh, mother and father or you know adult child. And so we can help them expedite the visa process for a family member um, because of the medical need. So that's, that's the particular situation that's come up most often for us. Mm. Which obviously makes a big difference to have that kind of support um, when you're going through chemotherapy yes. and radiation. And also keep in mind in New Haven, one in five people, English is a second language. We do have translator services. Um, there are people on staff who are bilingual and we make sure we have a certified interpreter regardless of the language to try to make sure people can even access these forms in their native language. Mm. And then you have a bullet point of estate planning. And so I would imagine that means what happens when you pass or preparing to pass. I mean, I don't even know how you have those kinds of conversations. What happens there? Right. And this, Dr. Silver, I don't, do you want to start? Well, I was just going to say, um, Breast cancer generally affects middle-aged women, but the average age is 63. That means 50% are younger. There are young women who have children, and it may involve things like custody, what happens if they don't survive. And I usually explain to people, affluent women have estate plans, and they have those arrangements. And it's not something which is offered to women who don't have the same amount of assets, but it's really important. What would happen if you're not going to do well with this breast cancer? And unfortunately, um, one in 10 women come in in the door with advanced cancer at the time of diagnosis. So um, while it's scary and frightening, I'll say to my patients, I have an estate plan. I know what would happen to my children. This is something that's important. This is not something that's going to um, make, <laughs> make someone succumb to cancer. It's just protection in case that happens. Wow. I would add that I think it really can give patients peace of mind to know that their wishes will be honored. And, you know, hopefully a will that we help them draft won't you know, they won't, nothing will need to happen with it for many, many years and, and they'll live a long life. But knowing that they've made those provisions and that whatever 
possessions they have. They can make a plan for who will get them. Um, you know, I think we often think of estate planning as kind of a realm for more affluent people, but everyone has some belongings, you know, of even sentimental value, whether it's financial mm -hmm. or not. And um, making decisions about who in your family, who in your life you want to inherit um, and you, who you want to administer your estate. Those are all things that, um, as Dr. Silver says, it can be scary to contemplate, but can also, I think, really bring peace of mind to have it sorted out and know that you're not leaving your children to deal with that. Wow. So so as soon as someone gets a, a diagnosis of a, 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 a breast cancer, uh, how soon do you all sort of... Uh, try to raise awareness about uh, medical legal partnerships? Well, that can happen at the first visit when you outline what the treatment might entail. Maybe it's not the first, it might be the second, but when you say this is going to be what you need to get better, it may be months, months of chemotherapy plus radiation plus surgery and when you say to someone, look, you're going to have to be here maybe weekly for months, people say, but I can't do that. I have to work. If I don't work, I don't get paid. If I don't get paid, I can't pay my rent, take care of my family, all those things. So that triggers something. We also at Smilo have a questionnaire, an iPad questionnaire, which people fill out prior to being seen. But um, you're so right when you talk about shame and people not wanting to say what the story is. But often in the context of taking care of someone, they're trusting you with their life um, to give them treatment. And sometimes where someone might not even make eye contact during the first visit, by the third visit, they may be saying, look, this is what it really is. I have an example of something. I had a patient who was ill and she wasn't coming to the emergency room when we would call her and say, look, if you're feeling this way, you need to go to the emergency room. Well, I wasn't aware that at the age her children was that were that she couldn't leave them alone. She was afraid that DCF might come in if they were found to be alone. So these are things, you know, it is always a learning process for me because everyone has their own individual issues. But in a context of trusting each other, maybe, you know, we can help each other help. They can help me help them. And then I'll bring Emily in. I would imagine. So, Emily, tell me, how far do you have to go legally when someone says, you know what, my boss is being, you know, he's like, you know, my boss is being X, Y, and Z. Is it, a, is it enough to send a letter from an attorney to say, listen, these are the rights in Connecticut. You must comply. Or do you have to haul people into court? Like, what? <laughs> It's a great question. And I think one of the really uh, one of the strengths of the MLP model is often we're able to get involved before it's really reached a crisis point. So many times someone will come and say, I'm concerned because, you know, I talked to the HR person and they said they weren't sure they would approve my leave or, you know, it's in a uh, kind of in between state where they're worried about their job security. But 
they haven't actually been fired or had accommodations denied. And so sometimes it's a matter of just educating the patient about what their rights are. And yes, you are entitled to that kind of accommodation. And under the Family Medical Leave Act in Connecticut, you are entitled to 12 weeks of paid leave in most cases. And if your employer isn't you know, telling you that, they should be. Um, and then kind of the next step is, like you say, a, let, a strongly worded letter often will do the trick. Um, somehow, you know, having that Esquire behind uh, behind my name can <laughs> get that, get um, that's a fear of God. Right that's what it'll do. <laughs> yes. Um, so it, it, it's pretty rare that we would actually get to the point of going to court. But that's always when we take on a case, we're agreeing to kind of follow through with whatever it takes. Um so, you know, if we think someone has a valid claim, we'll take it all the way to, to trial if that's if that's what needs to happen. And and do you see this with um, um, housing, too? Like when housing becomes tenuous for people? Um, Absolutely. Yes. You know. And right. We have. Um, and that's another area where ideally we're getting involved before there's an eviction on a person's record, because unfortunately, once the judgment of eviction has entered, it's very hard to find a new place and it becomes kind of a vicious cycle. So if we can get involved, maybe when a landlord has told the tenant that they intend to uh, evict them, but they haven't actually initiated court proceedings or they've just started and you know it's early in the process, we can file an appearance and help the patient tenant kind of navigate that situation or talk to the landlord's attorney and kind of negotiate a deal that will allow um, a patient to stay in their home for some period of time while they secure new housing. Because as you can imagine, if you're a cancer patient, having uh, stable housing is, of course, um, even more important than for the average person. So so, so I, I know uh, this medical uh, legal partnership is not unique to women, but women seem to be the most vulnerable in these kinds of these kinds of things, I would imagine. Um, because breast cancer is such a private, even though the, the marketing and the awareness raising, you know, every October we're all wearing pink, but it's still, um, uh, it's still very uh, debilitating to women. And it's still very, a silent kind of club of women who are, are trying to navigate these waters. And I can't imagine um, being sick um, and having to like, deal with the legalities of things right it just adds it's kind of insult to injury to have to deal with those things and often I think um being someone who can listen to a person's story that in itself is powerful and for us to be able to um provide a safe place for someone to share what's been going on and what's challenging for them and you know unfortunately sometimes from a legal standpoint the answer is there isn't a legal remedy um but I consider that to be, you know, it's not as helpful or satisfying as when you can um, get a great legal outcome for someone, but it's still information to to explain why not every time your boss is being a jerk, you know, is there a legal answer to that? Um, and so we're still providing that listening ear and then that kind of informed information so that they can plan accordingly. So, so Dr. Silver. Um, I, I understand you're like a leading, one of the leading doctors around black women and breast cancer care. Is that, is that accurate to say? Well, that's, the, I'm, that's just, I'm just reading that in maybe, all the medical maybe, stuff. No, but, um, I've been in New Haven since 1981, the people of New Haven taught me how to be a doctor. 
when I came here. I, you know, was young and didn't really know what to do. And this is my time to give back to the families and the people that train me. Um, and I find it very gratifying. I mean, there are always things I learn. October, in addition to being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, is also Domestic Violence Month. Mm. Um, when I started in oncology, I didn't realize how big a problem this is. And when you talk about shame and keeping silent, there are other things that come up that we can help, whether it's legal, whether it's social work, or whether it's just giving someone a number to give them a safe space. Uh, there are all sorts of things that I see. And it it is my time to be giving back. I mean, that's the, you know, I wouldn't be here if it were not for the community of New Haven. And I do a lot of outreach and community education. And once someone came up to me and said, wait, you're a doctor. You make money. Why are you doing this? <laughs> and, you know, I said, that's why it's important for me to do this. It's important for Yale. It's important for the Cancer Center. Because women of color disproportionately do worse with breast cancer. And it has a 40% increased risk of death for black women with breast cancer. Some of that has to do with the kind of breast cancer that you see in black women, but some of it has to do with these other things that we can't quite figure out that have to do with um, very obvious barriers and some barriers that are a lot more subtle, but need to come down for everyone to get equal care. Mm -hmm. I, I would imagine, Emily, um, this is the legal matters is not just about young people. You've got some elderly folks that, you know, and I don't like, I, I really don't want to, you know, I'm 60. So when I say elderly, I'm always thinking about other people, but you know, women who uh, are, are in my age cohort um, who, you know, almost about to retire, uh, maybe gotten divorced. Maybe the children are off the house. Um, I would imagine that you would see some of those because those issues are different than, say, someone who's 40. You know, the legal issues are a little different. Right. I mean, we really see such a range. Um, you know, as Dr. Silber mentioned, there are the young women who have young families and children, all middle-aged women, all the way up to I've worked with patients in their 70s and 80s. Um, and you're right. Often, you know, it might not be an employment issue at that point. Maybe it's um, accessing retirement benefits or, um, you know, some of that estate planning. If you haven't had a chance or haven't thought it through before, this is an opportunity to make those plans, set up a power of attorney if that's something you want, draft a will. Um, so so I would say the issues um, can vary. Um, and it's it's a privilege to get to work with such, um, such a diverse range of patients and hear their stories. I mean, I really think it's um, it's an honor to get to to be there for them. And, and I learn from every, every patient that I work with, certainly. Mm. And so, uh, so, the, so the students that you work with, Emily, do they go off into law firms and get law firms to, to have medical uh, uh, legal partnerships? Cause it just, just sounds so new. I don't, 
<laughs> yeah, so it's it's definitely been growing over the last, I'd say, 20 years and accelerating probably over the past 10. And we do have law students who graduate and go on to form new medical legal partnerships. We have a couple of students who graduated last year who this year have stayed in New Haven and are working at nonprofit organizations, continuing the same kind of work, which is wonderful to see. Um, and my feeling about it is even for the law students who might go on to a corporate job, um, they still are carrying with them that experience of working directly with indigent people who wouldn't otherwise have access or be able to afford an attorney. And I think that that lived experience of working with that kind of population does change people's attitude and, and thinking. And, you know, maybe they'll keep it in mind when they figure out what pro bono activities they'll do mm-hmm. um, with their firm. So um, I, I, I hope that we are providing good training for them. I think we are. And the students bring such passion and enthusiasm and intelligence. And so it's um, just really lovely to see them get to grow and flourish as kind of new practitioners um, in the field. And so Dr. Silver, I would imagine that having a medical legal partnership helps you do better at what you need to do on the medical side to help alleviate some of this worry and fear. Absolutely, because when someone's coming to me and saying, can you help me with my visa issues or I need to have um, a letter to my employer to be able to say to Emily, help me out here, that gives me more time to focus on the treatments, which are really complicated and explaining treatments to people takes a lot of time. And this way we can kind of highlight the medical issues, but make sure the social issues are cared for as well. Well, I so enjoyed this conversation this morning. I feel like I've learned something that I didn't know before. (laughs) And uh, you have a, a flyer and if people, and I know people are listening and I know people are intrigued by this because I'm getting messages. Uh, But I want to put, um, uh, if people want more information or a consultation, they can contact Emily Rock. Yes. Correct. Oh, thank you, Harry, for putting in the in the drive, um, in the in the chat um, at two zero three seven eight seven eight one four nine. That's Emily Rock or Emily dot Rock at Yale dot Wait, is it? Yes, Emily dot Rock at uh, Yale Edu. Are you related to Chris Rock? I I just that's such a cool name. Sadly, <laughs> no. Uh, no. <laughs> Um, but yes, people can certainly contact me. And I'll also say um, the program is still in need of support. So if there are people out there who think that this sounds like something that they would like to um, contribute to in some way, get in touch with us. Um, it is still a pretty new program. And um, we're very excited to receive the, um, a grant from the very first federal um, medical legal partnership grant uh, passed by the federal government with the help of Representative Rosa DeLauro. Um, so that, uh, I think things hopefully will keep moving in this direction of recognizing the importance of this work and the intersection of all these issues. That is such a good thing. Oh, high five to uh, Rosa DeLauro for uh, looking out for the best interest of uh, people. So, and uh, thank you, Dr. Silver. And thank you, Emily Rock. I appreciate y'all coming on this morning and helping uh, expand this uh, breast history, uh, uh, breast cancer awareness month conversation. I appreciate you very much and come back. And and keep me posted on uh, all the good work that you do. And if you create a new flyer, send it to me. I'll post it up. Thank you so much for having us. This has been such a delight.
I'm so glad. Yeah. So uh, yeah, stay in touch with me. Let me know uh, the work that y'all are doing. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us and shout out to every breast cancer survivor and people who live with breast cancer survivors. Um, they are amazing. And that's why we do this work. I appreciate it. And I'm going to pass this on because I have a, I have a girlfriend right now who just got diagnosed a very good close girlfriend. And, uh, and you know, she's, uh, she's having, she's struggling a little bit with struggling a lot with this. So, so this, I feel like I can send her this pod, you know, becomes a podcast and she can listen and then she'd have some more tools in her, in her, in her, uh, her toolbox to, to move forward. So thank you all so much for this. Thanks again. All right. Enjoy your weekend. You too. You too. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, Harry. Thank you uh, so much. I'll be back Monday. I believe I have collective consciousness uh, on a Monday. They've got a new play and I'm looking forward to talking to them, but uh, it's still October. So if you had not have your mammogram, go get one. And there's places all over the city where you can access and sign up and go get get it done. There's a van, there's everything. So so go and get those girls checked out. And uh, I will see you all on Monday. Ooh.